Purple, get ready to roll indeed. This is College and Kimball. The streak has come to an unfortunate end here, but we, the Podcats, are back to talk about K-State football. The Cats' most recent defeat at the hands of the Baylor Bears, bowl prospects, the upcoming game against Texas, and much, much more this week. Lots of topics to dive into. Uh, before we do that, go ahead and follow or subscribe to our podcast on whatever your preferred app is. Give us a rating and review if you haven't had a chance to already. You can also find us on Twitter at college underscore Kimball. So let's go ahead and dive into it. Uh, Alex and Clint are going to be joining me on this little magic carpet right here uh, this evening. Justin uh, is doing family things because, you know, it's Thanksgiving. And uh, I guess before we get into the uh, the topic that is uh, the 20 to 10 setback to Baylor, uh, let me just ask you guys, what are your uh, plans coming up for Turkey Day here? I'll be here in Wichita for Thanksgiving, then heading up to my hometown of Manhattan, Kansas for the weekend. Going to take in a little family wedding and, uh, you know, see the whole crew. It's going to be a good time. Hanging it's out fun. at my house on uh Saturday or Sunday, are you? Well, you know, I can probably squeeze you into that wedding if you want to come in there. It's going to be at the same place <laughs> you got married. That's true. I'll, I'll return your sunglasses for you. I appreciate it. <laughs> uh, let's see. Doing Thanksgiving with family. Actually, with my wife's family on Thursday. My family's going to Salina, I think. And then I got to work on Friday. I'll be bringing my laptop to work to watch watch the game. Uh, that's about it. Yeah. Well, good stuff, boys. Safe travels to both of you. I will be, uh, making the trek on I-70. If you're listening to this first thing, uh, I'll be, we'll probably be on the road uh, as you're listening to this on Wednesday, but, um, uh, my wife is, uh, Hayes, Kansas native. So I will be making the drive out to Hayes, America. Uh, if any of our listeners are out there, hit me up. Uh, you'll probably find me at the queue on a couple of uh, nights while I'll be down there for sure. Uh, so going to be doing that. And uh, yeah, Thanksgiving is at her uh, mom's house this uh, this year. Normally we would go out to Waukini, Kansas, uh, but uh, the grandparents are actually going to be coming in to see us. So those are the Thanksgiving day plans. So uh, safe travels to, to you and yours, our loyal listeners. We appreciate that. And we hope that we'll give you guys a little bit of uh, entertainment here on uh whatever commute you're looking at, be it long or short. So that being said, uh, let's go ahead and dive into it. K-State falls on senior day to the Baylor Bears, 20 to 10, the final score in this contest. And uh, truthfully, as somebody, uh, I made the decision at the 11th hour to go to the game. It, It never really even felt like it was that close. It just seemed offensively like it was a, a massive struggle for Kansas State all night long. Uh, I remember checking my phone at one point just to see Skyler's numbers. It was about midway through the third quarter because it just seemed like he hadn't even gotten over 100 yards yet. And that every time he was dropping back, he was getting rushed. And I was shocked to see that he was at that point, I think he was 13 of 26 for about a buck 30 or so. I, I was stunned to see that because I, as I touched on during the preview uh, for the Baylor game. Uh, Baylor's got, uh, at that time, had three guys in the top 10 in the conference in terms of passes defense that they were going to be playing sticky coverage. And man, were they ever, uh, Skyler was having a very difficult time uh, completing anything downfield in this game. And 
we'll go ahead and we'll start off first with K-State's offense. Uh, as I said, not a pretty outing uh, for the Purples on that front. Only 12 first downs for K-State in the ball game. A paltry 105 yards rushing on 21 attempts. And then uh, we touched on it just a few moments ago. Skyler, not his best outing uh, and unfortunate to see his uh, day conclude the way that it did. We'll dive into that in a little bit more detail here. But uh, his numbers were 15 of 29 for 158 yards in the contest. So uh, right around five point, uh, uh, right around five yards in an attempt. So like I said, just a, a massive struggle for K-State all day offensively. And I guess I'll start off with the the thing that jumps off the page at me is only 21 rush attempts in this contest, in particular when you're averaging five yards pop on those rushing attempts. Uh, Were you guys surprised to see K-State really not attempt to establish the running game with Deuce Vaughn in this one? Yeah, for sure. And uh, Kleiman talked about it after the game, that that was a big regret that uh, they didn't do more of that. Um, You know, Deuce was getting his here and there, uh, wasn't super consistent, but obviously he had that big run and he had another 25 yarder. Um, uh, definitely would have liked to see, uh, them go to him a little bit more. I felt early on, it didn't look like the, the run game was going to do much. I thought their defensive line, um, you know, early in the first quarter looked like they were, you know, handling our offensive line pretty well. Um, so I think early on, it kind of felt like, okay, this is a game we're going to have to throw the ball some, but then it's like the, the hole started to open Deuce was getting loose a little bit more. He had the big run. And then you're kind of thinking, uh, you know, maybe we need to run the ball more, but kind of never really happened, especially this team is, you know, we were never down by more than 10 at any given point but it always felt like we had a pretty huge hill to climb. So, you know, sometimes when you're feeling that way, you're more inclined to throw the ball, um, even when the run seems to be working. Um, but just kind of playing from behind is definitely not <clears throat> suited, suiting uh, our offensive play calling and execution doesn't seem to go as smoothly when we're playing from behind is what I'm getting at. And that was actually something that I touched on uh, with Clint Alex before you joined, before we started recording here is just that it, it seems at least, you know, now we, we've got three years worth of data on this offense under the direction of Courtney Messingham. It, it does seem like games need to go and flow a very particular way when we're, when K-State's running up against a team that it's either, evenly match with or overmatch in this case. And I think Baylor top to bottom, more talent on that roster and certainly a much sharper defensive team than really K-State's run up against really as far as anybody in this recent five game stretch, uh, Baylor certainly presented the biggest challenge in terms of what they do defensively. And I just don't really know what it is about Messingham. And, and it seems like to your point, there was really no, it really just seemed like they had a very narrow mindset going into this one and just some peculiar play calling too. right off the bat. You have two design quarterback runs for Skyler, both of which 
uh, don't really result in much of anything. Uh, I think about the the second one in particular on that opening possession in which K-State uh, ends up turning the ball over on downs, but that comes after uh, uh, on a fourth and 10 in which you complete a seven-yard pass to Deuce Vaughn. The play prior, though, was Skyler getting dumped for a three-yard loss. So, you know, do they are they able to run and execute to that that same play with everything that happens in a vacuum? Who's to say? But just seemed very peculiar right off the bat. And I just never really understood what Messingham was doing. And then I think back to another sequence late in the game uh, or late in the third quarter when K-State had gotten first and 10 on the Baylor 11. And then we see three consecutive pass plays. No, no effort to try and run the ball with knowing you could also get a first down inside, you know, the five yard line and get another set of downs. Like again, just very, very peculiar uh, play calling from Messingham in this contest. And I know there's really just not much else to say when, when a guy as dynamic as Deuce Vaughn only ends up with uh, at least as far as the running game goes, only ends up with 11 carries. Like that's that to me is the the biggest story of the game uh, when he averages 11.6 yards per carry on those 11 totes. Like, I don't know why we were, we're so, confounded by what Baylor was throwing out there. And, and I'll ask you guys, do, do you think Messingham, I feel like Messingham got, got a little bit in this game. We see younger offensive coaches when they get down, get down in those holes, they immediately just think we got to, we got to pass. We got to pass. We got to pass. I was kind of surprised to see that from, from Messingham in this one. Did you guys feel that way that, that Rand had really just kind of pulled one over on him in this? It just kind of seemed like he had a very clear, like the team had a very clear idea of what they wanted to do in this game. And even though it wasn't working, they just weren't really uh, willing to adjust. Uh, I'm not sure if he just got kind of pass happy or if that was, he was just trying to stick to the plan and it wasn't working. My, I have a couple of thoughts. Usually I feel like we would be talking the opposite where the run game wasn't working at all. And we kept with it. Those are, those seem to be more like the types of games we have is when the run game clearly isn't working and we're still trying to pound it and try to get some, you know, and we need to be passing. So for this, my thoughts are, you know, first of all, when you, when your two main running backs are both pretty small, you're going to get your fair share of, uh, you know, negative or zero yard gains. And as a fan, it's frustrating because, you know, that happens a few times early and you're like, you know, well, crap, we're not going to be able to run the ball. But, you you know, you definitely have to keep going at it, especially when your best player is, is a running back. Um, the other thing is just the way the game went, it's hard to say from watching it on TV and not being there in person. But, you know, from what I've heard from other people is there, it seems like there were open guys that Skyler just wasn't throwing the ball to. So when you keep calling plays and you keep getting guys open, that might also point to why you keep calling those plays. Cause you're just like, okay, it's there. It's there. We just got to hit him. Whatever. Um, there was one play early on. I think it was, I believe it was on the first possession or one of the first possessions where Skyler had plenty of time to throw it. It was on a third and like seven or something like that. Doesn't throw it, doesn't throw it, checks it down to Deuce Vaughn. And immediately there's three dudes there to tackle. Him. Yeah. I, Immediately when I saw that, I was like, I didn't see downfield because you can't see it on the live 
you know, you don't see the, the routes usually unless they're they're real shallow from the running back. But the second I saw those three dudes just waiting for Deuce Vaughn, I'm thinking, there's got to be somebody open. Like, there's got to be somebody open. And Skyler is just not throwing the ball. Um, early on, I saw that play, and I'm just like, oh, boy. This is – it's one of those games where he's just not going to, you know, there's going to be dudes open. He's just not going to pull the trigger. And that's kind of just what happened. But mm-hmm. it's kind of tough to not call those plays, though, if you're sitting up in the booth as the offensive coordinator and your your play call – you feel like your play calls are working. Um, you just keep – you know, you want to force it and try to get it to work. So, yeah, and that's kind of what Jeff and I were talking about before you joined us off air. I mean, Skyler was getting blitzed so much. He was getting beat up constantly. Uh, they had five sacks against him, but he was getting hit almost every time he dropped back. And they were either leaving Deuce in for pass blocking, and you know, honestly, he wasn't doing a very good job, or they were uh, they were uh, sending him out on a route. And exactly like you said, they always had someone right on him, even when they were blitzing one or two extra guys, which yeah. means somebody's open. But, exactly. Uh, you know, I feel yeah. like they keep him pretty frequently early in the game, but I do feel like as the game went on, he had some more time to throw the ball. But, you know, when you get rattled that early in a game, it's it's hard to sit in the pocket. Um, this is the first game. I'll just say this now. The first game since he came back from the injury, I think we've all been like, oh, my God, the injury is the best thing that ever happened because it's keeping him in the pocket to actually throw the ball. This is like the first game. I'm like, dude, run <laughs> like he just stayed <laughs> in the pocket and just took sacks when he had lanes to go pick up yards. I was like, OK, this is the first game where that knee injury is kind of. You know, he's probably not able to run that much uh, being hobbled. But old Skyler definitely would have had a pretty decent outing uh, running ball against Baylor last week, I think. You know, that's... Uh, you touched on it. Go for it. Oh, I was just going to say, Clint, you touched on it. The, the five sacks in this game. Uh, and I've tried to, uh, as I've... As I've aged as a fan, I try to now when we when it's apparent it's a design pass, I try to actually watch the routes happening in the secondary to see guys opening up. And honestly, it just seemed like every time I would see that happen, Skyler was just immediately being flushed out. He was being hurried and everything. And and to, to that point, Baylor only ended up with four hurries in the game, which that's it seems like an astonishing low, astonishingly low number for as ineffective as this past game was. And I think that, that though is a testament to how solid Baylor was in the secondary and locking down primary reads and and Deuce Vaughn, we we touched on that too. He was still uh, the primary target for uh, K-State in this game and that he had, or rather he was the leading receiver in this game with five catches for 37 yards. Phillip Brooks, actually the primary target, he was targeted nine times, only ended up with four receptions, but it, w- it was just a, a very frustrating day, and it just seemed like Skyler, he just seemed out of sorts. And, and I, I, I think, again, there, there's a lot of things that go into that offensive line pass protection. This was certainly not one of their better days. And I think a lot of it, though, to, to your guys' major, uh, major overarching point, it was just him really struggling to identify secondary tertiary read it just it was not k-state's day on the offensive side of the ball uh k-state only ends up running 50 uh 51 plays in this contest 
uh, 51 plays to Baylor's 83. We'll talk about defense here in just a few moments. Uh, and K-State also only ends up possessing the ball just over 24 minutes in this game, as you would likely assume when you you only end up running the ball 21 times and you have 15 incompletions. That's <laughs> you're going to have some shorter drives and and your short, uh, time of possession is probably going to be reduced a little bit from where it normally is for the Cats. Um, I guess the one thing I'll just kind of close out on as far as the offense goes, uh, that last possession where it looked like Skyler was going to have an opportunity to lead K-State to draw them uh, to within a score uh, this coming after uh, the Chris Tennant missed field goal. And we see Skyler uh, sustain an injury. He ultimately ends up getting carted off. Um, it It was tough to, to stomach and, but I guess strangely poetic in a way, because this guy has just done nothing but give his entire body <laughs> to K state uh, for so many years now. And I guess um, what, what did you guys come away just feeling when you saw him go out, you know, we, well, I'm not going to harp too much on Jaron Lewis coming in and immediately throwing a pick. I more so wanted to focus on like kind of, how the day and how Skyler's home career came to an end. What, what did you guys come away feeling after, after he sustained that injury late in the game? Uh, it was definitely a bummer. I mean, him getting injured has become kind of a too much of a commonplace thing that it's, it's not like a shock so much, especially as, as many times as he's come back, whether it's for a super senior season or coming back much sooner than we thought this year. I honestly won't be super surprised if he uh, is able to give it a go uh, against Texas. Um, it definitely sucks that that happened on uh, senior day, his last ever home game. Um, uh, but, you know, quarterback injuries are just such a commonplace at K-State these days that it's uh, definitely feel bad for him, but uh, not something that I'm not used to, at least. Yeah, that sounds our- a little harsh, but. <laughs> You're a jerk. Uh, all right. I was already just pretty bummed that, you know, not putting it all on Skyler, but he definitely was not having a very good day throwing the ball. Um, whether that just, you know, be good coverage or pressure and just him not be able to pull it down and run. Um, I was already bummed for him just cause you want, you want that guy to come out and just go ball out in his last game. You want, you want to send him off on a high note. You know, especially a guy that has had a lot of ups and downs in his career and, you know, has probably a faction of the fan base that loves him and another faction of the fan base that, you know, can't wait for him to be gone um, because of some of the inconsistencies. But already bummed about the performance. The injury was kind of just. I don't know if I'm kind of saying along the same lines as Clint, but it's I wasn't necessarily too shocked. You know, just because, you know, injuries happen quite a bit and especially to quarterbacks, especially to this quarterback. Um, Although I didn't think the play he got hurt on, I thought he just got kind of dinged up a little bit. I was maybe a little more surprised that the reports are he might, you know, be out um, going forward, which is, you know, to the point of Jaron Lewis going in. The play he got hurt on didn't look like anything too serious. Um, so I thought putting Lewis in at that point with the plan of, you know, redshirting Howard for this year didn't really seem to bother me too much. One, I pretty much didn't think we had a chance to win the game still anyways. Uh, and two, 
like I said, that injury didn't necessarily at first glance look like it was going to keep Skyler out of next week's game as well. So I was in that same camp. And, and truthfully, uh, when I saw him leave, because it seemed like he was walking off under his, his own power there. And I, I honestly didn't give it much of a second thought and thought he would just be taking a taken off maybe the rest of the drive or was going to try to come back in and give it a go. And then we ultimately end up seeing him get carted off. But uh, you guys both really hit on it. It's, it's so commonplace and particularly just really as far as K state quarterbacks at this point, we should really be conditioned to seeing this. It's not like this is atypical uh, in the sense that we, <laughs> you know, by the, by the end of Snyder 2.0, we were, we were seeing two and three guys every year, pretty much guaranteed. So it's unfortunate that Skyler's career did, uh, hopefully, at least as far as his overall career, if he's able to, to heal up here over the next several weeks uh, and participate in the bowl game, that's awesome. If that if this ends up being his last one, I think you still have to commend him for, for everything that he's accomplished uh, as, in, during his time at K-State. Uh, as it sits right now, uh, 6,865 passing yards, second only to Josh Freeman in that regard. 39 passing touchdowns, third in school history there behind uh, Josh Freeman and Jake Waters. Uh, if he gets one, if he gets one, he'll tie Waters on that front. So if he does ultimately end up uh, being able to come back for the uh, the bowl game, he would have the opportunity to potentially tie or overtake and uh, have second place all to himself there. Um, and also to go on top of that, uh, just to touch over a thousand yards rushing career wise and 26 rushing touchdowns again, as it stands right now. So he has a number of great distinctions. And I think that's another thing that the K-State fans really, we haven't ever really, when you think about it, seen a, a career, like a, a what I will deem like a college, like a franchise quarterback. We've been so accustomed to seeing two years, two years, one year, you know, we have Chad May, two years, Matt Miller, one year, Brian Cavanaugh, one year, Bishop, two years, Beasley, two years, Roberson, Roberson was really the one and only exception. And he only had one season in which he was the, the guy wire to wire. Uh, but the, his preceding two years, he had to split time with Mark Dunn through the first, you know, the part of the non-con and O2 and whatnot. So I think that hopefully I, I say all that to kind of put into context what Skyler was and that fans should be, again, certainly appreciative of the type of quarterback that he he ultimately turned out to be for this program. I know we all I, I guess we all we talked about this, too, the, the frustration of seeing him come in his his redshirt freshman year have the big upset win at Oklahoma state lead the comeback drive against Texas tech, go down, hit the, you know, hit the walk off touchdown pass to Zuber against Iowa state. We saw all those terrific moments from him as a true freshman or excuse me, a redshirt freshman. But I I know that's going to be fans biggest point of contention is that, well, why did we never really level up to the, because if he's, doing all this in his first year of, of getting a chance to see action. Why didn't we level up to a point where he was going to unquestionably be a first team, all big 12 guy. I think that's going to be fans biggest point of contention, but I, I still come away feeling immensely happy with what we got out of Skylar Thompson. Again, we haven't had many four-star quarterbacks come through the door in Manhattan. And, and I think what the, t- just the career that you got out of him is 
is something you can, as a fan, be very proud of. And I was certainly appreciative of, like I said, certainly hope that we get a chance to see him uh, at least one more time. And Clint, to your point, uh, as far as the Texas game, I know Kleiman said it's not likely uh, that, or that it's highly unlikely that we would see him, but uh, stranger things have happened. It could be a little bit of gamesmanship, who knows. Uh, but we've talked quite a bit about the offense here. I do want to uh, switch gears and move over to the defensive side of the ball, unless you guys had any other points on the offensive side before we move forward here. Uh, just because we we're talking about the offensive line not playing well, I just want to give one mention to Cooper Beebe, just absolutely destroying the entire side of the line on Deuce Vaughn's 65-yard, or however long it was, that touchdown run. Go back and watch him on that play. He just pushes two or three guys way inside and makes a huge hole. That's all I got for it. I had actually left my uh, seat and it was just rage walking around the stadium at that point. And I was actually in the, uh, the North end zone and um, I was on the concourse, as you would imagine. And I, I, it was really cool actually, cause I got to see that hole open up from where I was in. I was on the, uh, what would have been the Northeast side and I had this just really cool shot and I could just see the whole, like just a chasm there. So yeah, like you said, props to, to BB for, <laughs> sorry, I just saw the Clint walk, uh, the cat walk past you there, Alex. Uh, but yeah, just a, a great run there uh, by Deuce Vaughn, but unfortunately not, not nearly enough fireworks from this K-State offense this past Saturday to get it done. But I think, to bring it to the unit that did do enough to give K-State a chance to win. The, the defense, I, I felt, gave a, a really a yeoman's effort for, for not having a whole lot of support from the offense in this game. Uh, I, I say that, and it, I guess in, in a way it's, it's difficult to say that just because they were on the field for 83 snaps in this game. And the other thing too, like Dave Aranda was going balls to the wall. Like he was not, it just seemed like Baylor every time they were faced with a fourth down uh, after that first possession, they were going for it. They, he was just hyper aggressive uh, and not playing, you know, what, what many would deem conventional football. Like he was just all about going for it on fourth down. Um, but I, I, I still came away feeling reasonably impressed uh, with the defense Uh giving up 387 yards on 83 plays and K-State did outgame Baylor on a per play basis, 5.2 to 4.7. So a better half yard, better per play. Uh, I, I guess just high level here. How'd you guys feel about the effort that we got out of the defense this past Saturday? I thought it was a really good performance. I mean, just looking at the, the stat totals, it doesn't look super impressive, but just watching them, I mean, the, they were, uh, the mob was out in full force. I mean, Daniel Green was flying around. I continue to be extremely impressed with him. Um, you know, Felix getting held on just about every play. That was extremely frustrating. Um, but overall, I thought it was a very good defensive team effort. You're muted, Alex. Okay. All right. Let's try that again. <clears throat> it's definitely one of those games where you watch and you come away thinking, um, you know, amazing performance by the defense. The The stats are a little misleading. Um, I feel like in the four game win streak, it's been kind of like that where they'll give a few, you know, 
the defense is going to give up some yards kind of in the middle of the field area, but they just like, you know, they just seem to, once they get like that first out stopped and it's like, okay, second, third down. Um, there were some, they didn't, they did do great on third down and they gave up some fourth downs in this game, but a lot of those drives still led to no points or turnovers or fumbles. Um, I say maybe an incomplete overall performance because I do think our pass coverage wasn't the greatest in this game, especially against a backup quarterback. The run defense was amazing. Pass defense, you know, they did their job. The, the defense as a whole did their job to win the game. You know, giving up the touchdown after a muff punt, um, only giving up three points in the second half. The second half, they had two fourth down stops and a fumble recovery at midfield, and the offense pretty much did nothing with it. Um, plays and time of possession are kind of, you know, you look at those and go, well, the defense didn't get off the field. Uh, they didn't keep Baylor off the field. But it's, you know, those are hand in hand. That could be the defense. It's also when your offense isn't doing anything to keep possession and keep the other team off the field you know, that's going to inflate some of the numbers for the defense as well. But overall, I think the defense played awesome. They stopped the run pretty damn well. Again, I, th I figured if we lost, it's because Baylor was going to run all over us. And it was kind of the opposite of that. Uh, but I would say they definitely did enough to win the game for sure. Yeah, there was a lot of kind of just – moments that just went against k-state in this game and the defense um you know that obviously the muff punt that put them in the the bad field position early in the game i mean bronson massey had a strip sack that bounced right back to the quarterback and he was able to throw it ross elder played a great game but he had that one fourth down play where he fell down in coverage and they were able to convert it um like i talked about earlier all the holding that uh, i thought should have been called that wasn't I had a play where I thought Brents was going to get a big interception, but he dropped it, and that did, uh, didn't matter anyways because they called a holding or pass interference, which I thought was a little bit weak, but you know, probably the right call at the end. Um, just a lot of things that just didn't go their way. The kick-catch interference. Yeah, exactly. Which was Two. called by a guy that was in no position at all to see if – yeah, that was – He's like directly in line with both players. I was like, how can you tell how close this this guy is to him when you're not you don't have that that side angle? But yeah, th this is the first game in a long time for a football game where I was thoroughly upset at the refs. I mean, and I, I feel like that's happened so many times to K State in the past, but just for a while now, I felt like the refs have been got, been getting a lot better, but they didn't have it this game. I would say the West Virginia game and this game because. Felix has been having such a monster year. I find myself watching him a lot of the plays and I swear to God, he's getting hold by the double teams. And in this game, it wasn't just him. It was the entire D line. I'm like, I don't want to be the fan that's complaining about the holding calls, but you know, they haven't thrown a single one in this game. Like this is ridiculous. Like there's some pretty obvious holds that they are not calling. And I don't know. The NCAA just doesn't want Felix to get that sack record. So <laughs> they said, don't call holds on, on this dude. So, you know, we know what's going on.
their anti-Felix agenda. Mm-hmm. See, I have no idea if Jeff is there right now because his screen is froze <laughs> and he's on mute. So I don't know. Plus, I looked up and it got real dark on his screen and he was just like ominously watching me. Like, oh, there no, no, uh, I'm back now. Here we go. Um, no, I was just going to say not a lot of laundry in general in this game. Uh, only three penalties on Baylor, two on K-State. Uh, total yardage on those was th- uh, 48 or yeah, 42. God, can't do math today. Um, so, yeah, not not really a huge impact there. But the kick catch interference, I mean, that's really what this game more or less came down to. The fact that K-State more in ostensibly the exact same spot on the field would have been set up with, you know, a quarter of a field. And had they been getting been awarded that fumble on the muff punt. Uh, but unfortunately, again, Baylor gets to keep the ball on that, uh, you know, after the official's decision, that's really what swung the game. And, and yeah, we can talk about Chris Tennant missing the field goal, but K-State still had an opportunity late to, to potentially had that, that fumble been upheld. I think that we see it a little bit different game play out over the course of the second half. I think that the backup quarterback, Blake Shapin, um, at full disclosure, I don't know if that's the correct way to pronounce his name. I'm not going to go look it up, uh, but I, I think he probably tightens up a little bit knowing, you know, if, if Casey gets on that and then all of a sudden, bam, it's, it's you know, we're, we're talking about a tight one score game and, and he's now playing with a two score lead. But um, to, to your guys, you know, you know, you all made a couple of points there. Like when Gary Bohannon went out, I, I thought that was going to be K-State's opportunity to really get back in the contest and, and appropriately shape and leads them on a drive to get a field goal right before the gun uh, and take a, a 17 to seven lead into halftime. And then it was really just it was death by a thousand cuts in the second half. He He didn't torch k-state yardage wise he had 16 uh, 16 completions for 137 yards baylor as a team only uh was uh, was right around six yards in attempt so it wasn't like they were going deep against this k-state secondary but just just enough they had that big pass to taekwon uh, thorn uh, thornton uh, on their first possession in the third quarter after k-state appropriately had gone three and out after getting the ball to start the the second half and then Shapin gets them out after uh, Zetner had boomed a nice pun inside the 20. And then Shapin drops in a 28-yard pass uh, against Echo Boido and gets them out close to midfield. Now, again, it, it was just not K-State's day. I mean, that's really <laughs> the biggest thing that I came away feeling. It was just there were so many just little things here and there that just went against the Cats in this contest. And but when you get right down to it, defensively, we, we all touched on it. I think if you told me, one, that Gary Bohannon was going to go out in this game and also that at the end of the day, the Big 12's leading rusher in Abram Smith was only going to have 46 yards on 21 carries, I think you would have felt pretty good about K-State's chances in this one. And like I said, Baylor, Baylor might have stayed on the field for better than 35 minutes in this game, but K-State's defense really did make them earn the yardage. And it just it, it really from it. As good as K-State was complimentary football-wise the previous week against West Virginia with all three units really contributing, not just in scoring, but, you know, helping pick one another up and winning the field position battle, uh, it, it just all went the opposite direction against K-State this past Saturday. Just you, you, you had failures on all, all three units to a certain extent, but I certainly came away feeling most impressed with what, what the defense did in this one. Um, and... 
I, I guess a couple of notes before we, we move forward here. Uh, Jerron McPherson leaves the game early on. Uh, we hear later, uh, or rather this week, uh, Kleiman say that he is actually going to be a game time decision against Texas, which is optimistic. I think some say, Clint, you're shaking your head, not buying it. <laughs> uh, especially not after all the uh, social media outpour from the his fellow teammates talking about, uh, like, this next one's for him. We're, we're doing it for you, buddy. <laughs> you don't say that about a guy who's just going to be out for, you know, part of one game. Yeah, that and when you also when you get carded off, that's that's usually not a good sign that you're going to be coming back, you know, in less than a week. But uh, that's that's what Kleiman said during the presser. So don't don't shoot the messenger here. Uh, but I, I thought T.J. Smith, I, I was honestly, again, all all le- levels of the defense, I felt like really performed f- adequately, and I felt like he did a reasonably good job when he came in at that third safety spot. Uh, did you guys, and I, I think the best endorsement you can give of a safety when, when he comes in for uh, the starter is you don't hear his name called all that often. And I don't feel like TJ Smith really got picked on that much this past Saturday. Um, did you guys have any other thoughts as far as his play and what we saw from him after coming in for McPherson? You know, I didn't see much of him out there. Like you said, uh, not hearing his name is probably the best possible thing. Uh, outside of his one fumble recovery where the ball looked clearly in the hands of that offensive lineman. Uh, He jumped in there and just wrestled it away from him. Uh, That was a great play by him. Other than that, I barely noticed him. Yeah, I was almost worried they were going to overturn that and say like Baylor clear recovery or something. Because, you know, that would be our luck with the replay system. Uh, Yeah, I think TJ Smith did pretty – like you said, I didn't notice him. I noticed him – you know, helping on some some runs and making some tackles on some shorter, like, underneath throws. Um, I think, to your point, Jeff, that their backup came in and didn't really, like, uh, blow up the stat sheet with yards. I felt like they were mostly going underneath with a lot of the passes, which, you know, didn't give them a ton of yards, but, it, you know, did kind of move the chains for them a little bit uh, at some key moments. But, yeah, they, whatever, you know, young quarterback or whatever the secondary was playing good coverage. They didn't really seem to try to throw it deep on us. So yeah, Baylor just a, a little bit more aggressive and, and a little bit more fortuitous, uh, just in, in winning just little moments here and there. Uh, we, we talked about them staying on the field for 83 plays. There were seven of 16, just on third down that, that in and of itself, when you're hitting on almost 50% is obviously a pretty solid stat then three for five on fourth down attempts. Uh, these were two of the best teams in the country in terms of fourth down percentage going into the contest. So it should come as no surprise that we saw uh, combined seven tries on fourth down in this game. Uh, but the other thing too, uh, Baylor four cracks at it inside the red zone that convert all four times. Uh, K-State only one attempt in, uh, inside the 20 and they had to settle for a field goal on that attempt. So um Games are won in the margins, boys and girls, and, and this unfortunately was one that K-State just did not win the right moments at the right time, and uh, that's why we see it result in the 20-10 to 10 loss. Um, I will just briefly touch on, on the special teams. It was nice to see uh, Ty Zentner return to form here. Clint, I know you're overjoyed on that front. Uh, four punts for our boy, uh, averaged 42 yards 
on those four tries, had three of them down to inside the 20. So a great effort from him on that front. And then we we touched on it too. Philip Brooks had the the muffed punt that loomed so large and deciding and really not just deciding the game, but kind of dictating the overall flow in the first half. K-State really just got tense after that happened, I felt like, and they they weren't able to really uh, move the ball offensively because it just felt like they were in, in already in chase mode, already going down seven to nothing. I understand you're concerned about it going up against a pretty formidable defense in Baylor, but I, I don't think you need you needed necessarily to panic the way that K-State did, uh, but that Phil Brooks muffed punt, again, as I said, loomed large. Uh, and then we do have to talk, I think, briefly here about Chris Tennant. I know everybody wants to panic and, and freak out at, at the first sign of um, inconsistent special teams. And I know uh, anybody calling a K-State football game, whenever they you take away that uh, salient point about, oh, well, uh, special teams, every time, you know, game in, game out, K-State specials are always amazing. Well, not so much this past Saturday. And Chris Tennant, to that point, uh, did connect on a 28-yarder early in uh, in the third quarter, but did miss uh, late in the fourth, uh, a 39-yard attempt. And uh, guys, I, I think what what should we what what's a reasonable reaction to have at this point about what we've seen from Tennant here in recent weeks? Um, he he doesn't uh, seem to have his confidence right now. I mean, if you just miss one 39-yard field goal somewhere in the season, I mean, no one's going to get too upset unless it's for, like, for the game. But the fact that he's missed several uh, here in the last several games, uh, people are obviously pretty worried about it. Uh, I think he's going to be fine in the long run, uh, but maybe not someone who we're going to be able to depend on uh, in the short term. Hopefully he's going to be able to get it corrected. Uh, we might need him in one of these couple games coming up. So, you know, I think it'll be a good kicker for us still, but yeah. Yeah. My thought is, uh, you know, kind of sucks that he has to go into that role as a true freshman because he's clearly necessarily ready for it. But I think in the long run, he'll be fine. You know, he definitely has the the leg and, and whatnot. He's just got to refine his, you know, get his... Um, routine he got just get everything more consistent that his accuracy gets a lot better so uh long term i I think he'll probably end up being pretty good uh hopefully but it's just kind of sucks that he's put in this position because you know it's it's not going too well for him this year and you know hopefully it doesn't cost us any more than what it what it has um i think this is the first game that his misses have really I'm not mistaken. I don't. I don't think we. We we'd miss a field goal against what Iowa State. That would have. Is that right? But that was still Winkle. I think that was Winkle. Mm-hmm. So you know he's, he's had his struggles, but this is the first game where one of his misses actually kind of, you know, late in the game took a you know didn't make it a one score game, uh, but. It is what it is. What it is. He's, still, he's a true freshman kicker. So, like I was saying to somebody, or not saying, but typing to somebody on K-State Online, it's, you know, most teams don't have any kickers on their roster that can be consistent in college. You know, college kickers are just a crazy bunch, and 
you know, we've been pretty lucky over the years to have pretty solid kickers, and I don't see anything different moving forward, just, you know, going through some struggles right now. Yeah, and there was talk of Ty Zentner being the starting kicker this year. I mean, I wouldn't mind if they gave him a shot. Uh, I don't think he's going to be any more con- inconsistent. Um, I mean, obviously, I don't see the practices. I've never actually seen him kick live in a game as far as uh, field goal kicking, so he might, you know, not be any good at all. But it's uh, not a position where I really value being out on the field and getting uh, a whole lot of experience once you've already done it a couple times. So I don't think um, Tennant's going to be really missing out if he does get benched. I, uh, hopefully that won't hurt his confidence too much. I mean, he is a true freshman kicker. Uh you know, and I like Ty Zetner a lot. I'd like to see him get a chance. Well, in Texas, you know, you never know. It might be an opportune time to to try something different if they're they are that concerned. And I, I guess to your guys' larger point too, I, I don't think you want to get his his cage rattled too much uh, by by saying, "Hey, we're we're going to go away from you," or we're just you know we'll let Zetner do field goals you can do point afters or something like that i i think you still have to you still have to ride with them and show that you trust them and give them the opportunity and but maybe it is one of those things if you look at certain distances and you say okay you know we've got a we've got a 45 yarder here before halftime maybe we pulled maybe we let zender take a crack at this one instead and we'll see what's what on uh this coming saturday obviously when k-state goes down or rather this coming friday excuse me uh when k-state goes down to austin for the regular season finale against the horns so again the final score as we said 20 to 10 k-state falls to baylor this is the wildcats fourth loss to the bears in their last five attempts in uh, manhattan um Am I the only one who is somewhat concerned by that trend? Because I feel like, at least now, now that Art Bryles and, and their coked-up offense is long in the rear view, the last two times that Baylor has come into Manhattan, they've they've worked K State over pretty good. And I feel like this this is still a program that K State should be better than on its home field. Am I am, am I off base in saying that here? Um, no, I, I definitely think it should be a team that, uh, you know, is fairly even, uh, where K-State should be fairly even with them. I mean, I, I don't put them really too much higher than Texas Tech as far as, like, a team that I think of as, like, good year in, year out. Obviously, they've had some pretty good teams here and there, but they've also had some really shitty teams in my lifetime, so it's still hard to think of Baylor as being a great team. Um, you know, I usually K-State will at least beat the bad teams and uh, they might struggle with the much more talented teams. There's been a couple of years where I thought K-State it's clear the clearly the better team and just kind of faltered against a bad Baylor team. And that uh, definitely goes into that, um, you know, winning percentage they've had on K-State recently. Um, you know, we're not really competing for a lot of recruits, so it's not like, you know, losing to Iowa state and then having to worry about uh, losing out on future players um, so it, it just sucks, you know, in, in the, in the moment losing to them, really. I'm kind of the opposite. I feel like their program is at a notch above ours with talent. Just, you know, they've been a solid program for over a decade now or about a decade and their down years recently 
have all been because of coaching changes. Once they've gotten a coach in, they you know the the year that uh, was it Jim Grobe took over after Art Riles got fired, they weren't good that year. Then they got Matt Rule, another coaching change, weren't good his first year, but he was able to take the talent on the roster, which he did not build over one off season, and you know had an amazing year in his second year, and then got an NFL job. And then Dave Aranda comes in, <clears throat> they still have talent you know, struggles the first year. I think last year is the, really the game that we should have beat them. You know, another, um, was it two, the Matt, first Matt Rule year, did we, we lost in Snyder's last year down there by a field goal too. So both times. Yeah, the we, first Matt Rule year was there, they were one and 11. And that right. was, that is K-State's only home victory in the last five okay. attempts against Baylor. Um, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so his he he was there for three years, not two years, but his second year they were better, and then obviously they well, they won eleven or twelve games in his third year. But the two times down there is when we should have beat them, and we lost both on a field goal at the end. And but then, like I said, I think their program is just at a better level talent wise. That once and they've made several good coaching hires also. You know, I think Dave Aranda um, and Matt Rule and obviously Art Riles were pretty much home run hires for them and once they kind of get into their system you know this is Aranda's second year and he's ranked 11 in the country so yeah I'm not going to sit here and say that we should be beating them you know on the regular I think it I would like to be beating them more often than we are but I don't know I don't I don't think we're quite on that Baylor level right now no as, as far as talent I completely agree with you and it probably all goes back to the fact like I said just I consider Baylor just to be a dog shit program based on what they were when I was younger and all the, um, you know, the terrible things that they've done as an athletic department, you know, just over all that all just kind of goes into my head and thinking of them as just being somebody that we shouldn't regularly lose to. And I mean, outside of maybe Oklahoma and Texas, if they ever actually got their shit together, I don't think there's anyone who should really outclass us as far as talent year in and year out. That's just a perception thing on my end, not what a reality thing is, because obviously K-State has not been a good recruiting team anytime recently, so there's not going to be many teams that are not better than us talent-wise. Um, you know, K-State just has to find other ways to win, and they have done that for the most part over the last, you know, 10 or 12 years. Right. Yeah, not I, Baylor, but... Yeah, I totally get, you know, it's it's just always weird to have you know, people talk about, you know, Dave Aranda leaving for such and such job. And there's being a discussion of, you know, well, Baylor's a better job than like Washington. And it's just like, you have to think about it. You're like, Baylor's a bet, you know, just, and it's probably true though, mainly because they're in Texas and they can recruit easy to, to Waco because, you know, they're in Texas. They're also not in Lubbock. They're still kind of on that East side of Texas. And they've been a six, you know, guys that they're recruiting have pretty much only known Baylor since like the RG3 days and so and so on. So it's not like they know Baylor from the 90s and the the early 2000s like we do where they were they were basically what KU is now. So it's hard to wrap around. There's that stigma of Baylor of us growing up. They were just always an automatic win. But, you know, once Texas and. um Oklahoma leave the Big 12 
you probably have your your tier one of teams is probably going to include Baylor, probably depending on who they hire after Aranda leaves, I would guess. But uh, just they've gotten a lot of momentum. They have a brand new stadium. They, I don't know. They they do what it's take what it takes to to have a successful program. Um, and I think they're finally after years and years and years, you know, for the last decade, they've really taken advantage of of all the built-in advantages they have as a school in Texas like that. Yeah, I know, Alex, you raised that question. I want to say it was one or two weeks ago when we we were talking about Baylor being just so deplorable when we were growing up. And, you know, regardless of whether they were coming up to Manhattan or we were going down there, we were going to beat them 48 to 7 or whatever. Like, Snyder just worked those Kevin Steele and Guy Morris teams over like it was nobody's business. And and then, you know, it kind of dawns on everybody like, how and why is Baylor this bad? Like, there is no reason for Baylor to be this <laughs> deplorable. Now, you know, say what you will about off-field things with, with Art Bryles and everything in between. But, man, like, the, the advantages they have uh, – being a private institution and having like, and I think that's another thing that you you talked about Baylor being potentially a better job than Washington. There's a lot of money down there. And I I don't think people really appreciate how much, how much Baylor has in that regard. And that they, they clearly have made the investment to continue to win in football. And that that's going to be something that I, I think if you want to be, perceived as a big 12 title contender in this new look big 12 moving forward as you said i think that is absolute baylor is going to be in that first tier of programs with oklahoma state and i i again i think tcu is also one of those jobs too where again you you know you you have all the advantages of being right in the heart of dallas and being able to recruit you know pretty much any kid that you want now can you sell your program that's the other question but i think that's one of those things the fact that k-state now in the last 10 is two and eight against baylor that that's a little distressing to me and i I think that's that's kind of i i can't in, in good faith say that this is like bill snyder trying to climb the hierarchy of well we need to start beating ku on a regular basis okay we've done that okay, now we need to start being Colorado. Okay, we've done that. Now we need to start beating Baylor. It's hard for me to sit, to frame it that way, but if you want to be thought of as a Big 12 title contender, I really do think that's going to be one of the programs you have to shoot for. Now, who knows what divisions are going to look like too when the new look Big 12 comes into play here in a couple of years, but um I'm glad that we were able to to touch on that. That was a high level question I, I wanted to throw out to your guy to you guys. So so great uh, great points that everybody made on that front. So um, I, I don't want to harp too much on that and talk talk a lot about Baylor. I know we still got a lot we uh, we need to get to here. And um, that being said, I want to go ahead and uh, jump into our weekly awards uh, for K State's performance against Baylor. Um, we start off with the Michael Bishop Award giving to, uh, given to the game MVP. And uh, full disclosure, normally we have these uh, prepa- uh, prepared <laughs> going into the segment, but now we're, we're just going to go off the cuff here, guys. Um, I, I think Deuce Vaughn is probably the lean here. Uh, 
but I, I'm willing to listen to suggestions on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, I almost want to give it to Daniel Green just because I think the defense had much more of an impact, a positive impact for K-State than uh, the offense did, and that's no fault of uh, Deuce Vaughn. I mean, if he would have gotten another eight or ten touches, we might be talking about a very different game and a very different performance. Um also, if we give it to Deuce Vaughn, then I don't know who the hell we're going to give offensive MVP to. So that's why. <laughs> that was my other thought. <laughs> I was going to say the same thing. Give it to, to Daniel Green on the defense. So that way we can give another award to a defender because I'm not sure where any other ones lie on the offensive side. All right. Decision made. Then Daniel Green is our Michael Bishop Award winner for the Baylor game. Nine tackles for Daniel Green, eight solo stops, three tackles for loss, one sack and one hurry. So he uh, certainly has the numbers uh, to back up and, and, and merit this award this week. So there is our uh, Michael Bishop Award winner there. Uh, so I think we've already ironed out, though, the Darren Sproles Award winner then for offensive MVP. It the, it will end up going uh, to K-State's Deuce Vaughn. Uh, ends up with 165 yards, uh, 120, uh, excuse me, 165 all-purpose yards, 128 rush, 37 receiving. And again, he did this on just 16 touches, so better than 10 yards a touch this past Saturday. So Deuce Vaughn is your offensive MVP, the Darren Sproles Award winner for the week. And now defensive MVP, uh, again, our little stipulation here is that if you get the team distinction that you cannot get the defensive MVP. So, man, um, I know Ross Elder was the team leader in tackles here with 10 stops, and and we've talked about it too. He's been, dare, dare I say, serviceable. Uh, this season, uh, we also have Cody Fletcher uh, with nine tackles in the game. Uh, King uh, King Felix, relatively quiet outing for him. But Nate Matlack continues to show up. He had a couple tackles for loss and he had a sack. Uh, we had the aforementioned TJ Smith uh, with uh, the fumble recovery and three stops after coming in for the injured Deron McPherson. So um, how about it, guys? Who are we uh, feeling on this front? I'd be happy with Fletcher. I'd be happy with Matlack. I'd be happy with Elder. That one play where he falls down, just, I mean, you, people, DBs fall down, it happens, but man, they just the fact that it was Elder just almost <laughs> ruined his really good game for me. But uh, no, he, he did have an extremely good game. And, um, you know, shout out to, uh, to Timmy Horn, too. You know, not someone who's racking up the stats, but, you know, being just that huge mass in the middle i say we give it to elder i think he had a real good game <laughs> <laughs> good uh so uh, since with that very uh enlivening speech there from alex i think we uh we give the nod to ross elder again 10 stops uh the leading tackler for k-state had a half tackle uh, for loss in this one. So Ross Elder then is your Mark Semino award winner given to the defensive MVP. Uh, we'll move next to the David Allen award given to the special teams MVP. And I think guys, we, we already mentioned his name a little bit earlier, but I think it's hands down. It's, it's Ty Zetner uh, for his performance on the punt uh, on the punting front this past Saturday. 
uh, again, averaging 42 yards a boot and three of those down inside the 20 yard line. So Ty Zentner returning to form here as he gets set to close out his career at K-State. You love to see it. Uh, good stuff from him. So he is your David Allen Award winner then for the special teams player of the week. And let's next go to the Arthur Brown Award. This is our newcomer of the week. And we've got a couple of guys we can throw in here. You know, Russ, Russ East continues to, to perform well. Uh, Stubbs was kind of quiet on the defensive side uh, this past Saturday uh, as far as what he's been giving K-State here, in, at least in recent weeks. Um Daniel Matterbebe only, you know, just limited to just one catch for K-State. Um, we don't really have many candidates for newcomer, man. This is uh, this is a little tough this week. I'm just going through the box score. I'm trying to find something here. Yeah, like I said, Timmy Horn didn't rack up the stats. He ha- It was either back-to-back plays or maybe two plays apart where he had that big uh, pass that he knocked down, uh, like right in front of the quarterback, and then he had a sack, either a play or a couple plays later. Which I believe was on third down. Um, I think that was his only tackle for the day. It uh, was, I, but I, I'm 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 fine giving it to Timmy Horn with the way that the run defense performed. Um, yeah, I, I can't he, I can't say that I noticed Rusty's too much, even though he did have a few tackles and a pass broken up, according to the stat sheets. I was, and yeah. Timmy Horn was out there for 41 snaps, too, uh, this past Saturday, which, uh, again, the, the defense, Klanderman's been pretty good about rotating bodies in there. Now, granted, K-State's been on for, you know, 65, 70 snaps, and this was this was another notch up from that. But, yeah, I, I, and I'm sorry, Alex, you were getting ready to make a point. I was just going to give my vote for Timmy Horn as well. He always seemed, to, you know, doing his thing just – getting a lot of good penetration, taking on blocks, which obviously doesn't give you any stats, but, you know, just kind of helping that that good performance from the run defense. So, And I like his uh, fishing reel cast celebration he does. So extra point for there. Yes, yes. All, all about that. So, Tim, sure. so Timmy Horn is going to be your Arthur Brown Award winner for Newcomer of the Week. And now we get to do the John Hubert Award for the Unsung Hero this past Saturday. Um, And maybe it's the guy that I've been chirping about all this time, but TJ Smith with the fumble recovery coming in three and just again, pretty quiet outing. But as I said, the best, uh, the best uh, endorsement you can give a guy who comes in, uh, comes in cold like that is the fact that we don't hear his name mentioned all that much. Um, not, and we don't, and I guess just to look at the other side of the coin offensively, I don't really think you can point to anybody doing anything of note. Um, Malik Knowles only had one catch in this game. It was a big one. It was a 48 yarder, the biggest play of the day for K state from scrimmage, but there's really not much else. And I, Skylar Thompson's outing, it was very pedestrian as far as he goes again, the 15 of 29 for 158. I just don't think there's anybody on offense that merits it. So I'm, I'm all about TJ Smith. Yeah. I mentioned Cooper BB earlier with the, the one play I noticed him on, obviously the offensive line didn't have a very good game and I, I couldn't say what he did the rest of the game. So I don't think he's really an option. Cody Fletcher seemed like he had one of his better games, but I, I wouldn't call him unsung. I mean, he had nine tackles, a tackle for loss, and was in on a lot of plays, even if he didn't get the credit for the tackle. 
Um, so yeah, uh, TJ sounds good to me. I like TJ, especially the nature of, uh, you know, going into a pile that you didn't really have the ball and you come out with it. You don't see that a whole lot. Or if, if it happens, it's so far in the pile that you're not going to see it. But uh, yeah, especially when you're giving up 100 pounds or more to the player yeah. you're ripping it away from. Well, I was just thinking about to say a bad call away from a uh, Platner getting an award tonight. So too bad for that guy. <laughs> yeah. And um, God only knows what TJ Smith was getting probably scrote punch down there in that pile too, trying to get that ball oh, out of there. And yeah, you know, he was trying the to get one doing the scrote punches. <laughs> Someone's getting royal check. That's all I know. <laughs> So TJ Smith and John Hubert award winner uh, for this week. And um, I, I think though, Clint, you, you mentioned Cooper BB and uh, Cooper BB, excuse me. I think he's a good candidate though for uh, the Trey Walker award for moment of the week. Yes. Deuce Vaughn uh, was able to score the touchdown, but again, Cooper just caved in that side of the line and opened up a giant hole for him. So I think that's, that's your moment of the game as far as K-State goes. And really the only, highlight real play of the day as far as um, offense for, for the Wildcats outside. You know, we talked about the the one Malik catch and the Deuce Vaughn run, but really uh, that's pretty much all of K-State's offense this this past Saturday. Do we have any other moments that are sticking out? I, I'm really struggling to come up with anything of note <laughs> that was positive, at least for K-State. I was going to say, if you're going with overall moment of a game, it's a play that definitely didn't help us, but... <laughs> positive plays so yeah that's i mean you know no that that deuce vaughn run was incredible i mean c- coming into k-state you heard about his agility as a recruit but one of the knocks on him was that he didn't have incredible straight line speed and just to see him just run past everybody like that and those you know those little legs running just i mean i i hate making the same comparison because it's so easy like every week that everyone does, but holy crap, does he just, he's a Darren Sproles clone, and it's just so awesome to see that back again at K-State. I will say he, uh, in his short career so far, he typically gets tackled at about the two or three yard line on that sort of play. Um, so I was waiting for that, but he 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 got it in there. Um, yeah, the 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 top end speed is one of those things like the type of player he is. That's just the cherry on top. If he can, you know, he's take, he's making these real big plays based off his, uh, all of his talent. Sometimes, you know, like I think Oklahoma, he had one last year where he got tackled at the one and, you know, that, that sort of thing. But, um, you know, it's definitely enough there to, to turn those into touchdowns, hopefully more often than not going forward. But yeah, those are some plays that <laughs> you think he's got the touchdown and he kind of gets caught, but, you know, still still a great play. And Someone said they thought he stepped out of bounds early. I don't know, but it got upheld. So, And Deuce Vaughn did go over 1,000 yards uh, this past Saturday, 17th 1,000-yard rushing season in K-State school history. Uh, he's up to 1,115 yards. Um, and we, we touched on it last week. Uh, I'll mention again this week. He is a semifinalist for the Doak Walker Award uh, given annually to the nation's top running back. So I think, again, K-State fans need to, <laughs> to certainly appreciate, if you, have, if you aren't already, you certainly need to appreciate the type of talent that has come 
really if you're uh, like our age that's come back to Manhattan uh, because again he is he's producing up there with the likes uh, of Darren Sproles so he he's really doing just yeoman's work uh, week in and week out uh, a couple of other superlatives on that uh, for uh, Deuce Vaughn um, he's now up to 70 career uh, receptions and that's fourth in school history amongst uh, running backs and fullbacks and his 45 this season his 45 catches this season rather is tied for fourth in school history uh, by just a sophomore and that's for receivers running backs anything in between so um dude continues to wreck teams and he's up now also to uh 10 career 100 yard games ties him for fifth in school history so deuce do induce things uh can't say anything more than that so those are your award winners uh for the baylor game uh, K-State, uh, with the loss, unfortunately, falls back to 7-4, and 4-4 four, four and four in Big 12 play. Baylor improving to 9-2 and two overall, 6-2 and two in league play. And uh, credit Dave Aranda's bunch, man. They've, they've done the 180, and they are now just one win away from playing in the Big 12 title game. Uh, they will need a little bit of help on that front uh, in the form of Oklahoma State winning Bedlam, uh, but we'll dive into Big 12 games here uh, quickly uh, before we move into our predictions for K-State's upcoming contest against the Texas Longhorns. So as far as the week that was in the Big 12, uh, we'll start off with uh, kind of the ho-hum game of the day, West Virginia taking care of business at home against the aforementioned Texas Longhorns, 31-23 to the final from Morgantown, Texas, now four and seven on the season, two and six in Big 12 play. So uh, the carrot of bowl eligibility is not there for Steve Sarkeesian's bunch in year number one. So I think that obviously bodes well for K-State going into uh, the regular season finale coming up on Friday. West Virginia, however, still has the opportunity to uh, make it to the postseason uh, they've got a, tri- a one that I think most people are probably going to say is a little bit trickier than they would have expected, but they will uh, go on the road this coming Saturday to take on KU. So that'll be an interesting one uh, for Neil Brown as he hopes to pick up win number six on the season. So West Virginia, 31-23 over Texas. Uh, Oklahoma, I didn't catch any of this one because I was on the way up to Manhattan, but uh, they are 28-21 to winners over Iowa State. Uh, the most together team in program history has fallen now to six and five on the season. Oklahoma, ten and one overall, seven and one in Big Twelve play. Uh, I do know though that Brock Purdy did end up getting knocked out in that contest, so uh, tough break for him. Uh, obviously, the dude's been around for a minute and whatnot, but um, man, Iowa State just always a bridesmaid this season. Hate to see it. You hate to see it. You hate to see it. Um, the other games uh, here, uh, Oklahoma State blanking Texas Tech in Lubbock 23 to nothing. And then the uh, other game outside of K-State was TCU needing to rally to take care of business at home against uh, the plucky Kansas Jayhawks. 31 to 28 was the final down in Fort Worth. Uh, so TCU uh, they, too, have the opportunity to potentially get bowl eligible with a win this coming Saturday. We'll talk about that here uh, before we wrap things up. Uh, but let's go ahead then uh, and dive into uh, projections for K-State's uh, regular season finale against the Texas Longhorns. Before we 
uh, we do touch on that. I um, I put a question out on Twitter on Monday morning uh, about people, uh, or rather about what you do uh, with the quarterback this week. Because as we know, Skylar Thompson left the game, uh, was carted off. We're certainly not expecting to see him this coming Saturday. So you're confronted with this unique dilemma of Will Howard, who has already played four games, and if you were to play a fifth, would not be eligible for a red shirt. And then you have Jaron Lewis on the other side of the coin. And quite frankly, in his very limited action that we all saw him in against Oklahoma State, uh, didn't necessarily inspire confidence, at least not in me. I, I came away from that game feeling very concerned about just the quarterback position overall once Skyler leaves. But um, I, I put the thought out in Twitter just about whether or not you burn Howard's red shirt in an effort to improve bull position. And uh, it's amazing to see how many people decided to come to the aid of Will Howard, um, who a couple weeks back when K-State was struggling against Oklahoma State would have just as soon seen him, you know, burned at the stake. Uh, so I, I'll just uh, put the question out there and let you guys expand on your own uh, take on this. Uh, what, what do you, what are your thoughts about burning the, or the prospect of burning the red shirt to start him against Texas uh, this coming uh, Friday? Well, I was one of those people who immediately came and attacked you on that post, Jeff. Uh, so sorry about that, but I had some <laughs> no, it's all good. opinions there. Uh, I think that although Will Howard has been very frustrated, frustrating at times as a uh, uh, quite a few times as a K State quarterback, um, he provides much, much, much more upside than Jaron Lewis does, and uh, he at least gives you a chance to win games where I just I just don't think that's there for Jaron Lewis. So at such a critical position as quarterback. Um, even if it gives you a chance to win one out of two or hopefully two out of two games, if he, if Skyler can't come back, which as I said earlier, I'm not so sure he's not going to be playing against Texas, but if that's not the case, then I think you absolutely burn that red shirt for Will Howard. Uh, the coaches have said that he's more than willing to step in there and burn his red shirt uh, and try to get the win. Um, so he's the guy you need to throw out there. Yes. Burn the red shirt, burn it to the ground. You're Will Howard, and they say you. This is your game. Go start in Austin versus Texas. You know, I, I get that it's going to cost him a red shirt here, but he played almost all of last year, and it doesn't count against his. You know, he's 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 going to get plenty of time to play college football. So in my mind, you, he's probably a competitor. He probably wants to play. That's a game guys want to go play in. Um, I just, you know, in the, the, the last three minutes of the Baylor game, I'm sure they probably didn't even ask him, like, hey, do you want to finish this game and burn your red shirt? Because I don't think that's really a fair position to put a player in that late in the ball game. whereas, you know, Skyler's fine next week and, you know, you burn your red shirt for one drive of a game, you know. Um, I get that he gave us a better chance to win last week than Jaron Lewis did. Uh, at the same time, I just the way things were going in that game, I'm not sure, you know, it, at that point, I don't think it really mattered, but um, I guess that's a different debate. But yes, I think. And going back to Kleiman's first year, you know, that was overall a successful year 
However, I felt like it could have been a lot better. You know, we lose a game in the last seconds to Texas late in the year. We drop a game against West Virginia that we should have won, and then we lose a bowl game. So it's, you know, that first year of climbing could have been a nine or ten win team, which, you know, is huge, I think, for first-year guy recruiting-wise. And I think we're in the same position this year where we were seven and three at one point was huge after being three and three, but it would be kind of a disappointment if we are seven and three or sorry, seven and three and um, don't quite finish strong kind of, you know, climbing's year first year, definitely a success. But like I said, it could have been a lot better this year if we're sitting at seven and three and we end up with seven and five or eight and four you know, that feels a little disappointing when I felt like, you know, nine or t- 10, well, not 10 anymore, but uh, nine wins is definitely in reach if we can pull out a couple of wins coming forward. So I think you do what you got to do. You put the best guy out there. If Skyler can't go, I think it's Will Howard. And if I was him, I would be, you know, I would be hyped up to play in this game. It would be a great opportunity, and again, I also mentioned K-State has not won in Texas in a decade, and it was, and if you'll recall, it was the ugliest game <laughs> that you you probably have ever watched. Uh, K-State barely managed to rack up 100 yards of total offense, and they ended up escaping Texas 17-13 to back in uh, 2011. Uh, that was the Colin Klein uh, first year of Colin Klein as starter. But uh, every trip down to the Lone Star State and into Daryl K. Royal since then has uh, resulted in an L for K-State. So hopefully whoever ends up starting uh, under center for the Wildcats this coming Saturday uh, can uh, buck the trend on that front. Now, uh, there's one other point I'll just mention before we segue into the game uh, itself. Um, also, I wanted to give you guys the opportunity uh, – the, the bowl that K-State would end up in, I'm one of those, and, and I, I'll just put my two cents out there. I, I feel like we've diluted, or not we, but ESPN in particular has diluted bowls so much because there are you know, 41, 42, however many of them, that I, I've kind of, once, once you get beyond the New Year Six, and really a, a handful beyond that, like, Getting to the Alamo Bowl would have been a pretty big accomplishment for this team, If and I don't know if that would have occurred even if they had beaten Baylor because the Alamo Bowl doesn't necessarily need to pick Kansas State. But to get to the Alamo Bowl would have been a great accomplishment, and I still think bowls like that, the Holiday Bowl, the Outback Bowl uh, to a lesser degree, there there are some out there uh, below that tier of New Year's Six that are still meaningful. But once you get beyond, I'd say, that threshold of maybe like 12-ish, 10 to 12-ish games, they're all pretty homogenized in my mind, but I, uh, again, was proven quite wrong by very uh, many a K-State fan this past uh, past couple of days. Uh, that bull stock is very much relevant, uh, and, I, and I guess I'll, I'll let you guys, again, if you want to wax poetic about that, about where K-State could potentially end up uh, if they were to go 8-4 and four versus 7-5, and five, uh, feel free, whoever wants to take the floor first on that. Well, I, I don't think it's so much where you end up as a bowl game as the just that final record that's going to be next to your name and the year forever. I mean, anytime someone goes to look up K-State 2021, 
you know, nine wins or eight wins just look so much better than seven wins. And I mean, if we could get to the Alamo Bowl, obviously you'd like, as you were saying, you'd you'd take that over some bowl that's just going to be changing its name every uh, two or three years that no one's going to remember what bowl that actually is. Um, so, I mean, if we get to the cheese it or the, or the whatever, then that, that doesn't mean much to me, but it's just that final overall record that I care about. Yeah. I don't really, outside of like the New York, the New Year's six bowls and, you know, kind of maybe that add the Alamo bowl in there, but outside of those, I don't really care what bowl game it is. I care about uh, the matchup of what team you're going to play. Uh, the only thing I care about, like what bowl you're picking is, you know, for the fans that are traveling, they don't want to go to the same place every time. So I think that's one thing I think I would like to get invited to the cheese it bowl because I think it would be fun for our fans to go to Orlando for a game. We've never played a bowl game in Florida, but also we're probably going to get a decent matchup against an ACC team. We don't play a lot of ACC teams. That could be fun matchup. So, yeah, I, at the end of the year, I don't care what bowl we play in. If it's not like a meaningful playoff game or New Year's six, New Year's six game. However, like Clint said, the overall record, you know, nine wins is looks great. Um, and then just the matchup, who we play, because our last bowl game, shitty matchup in a shitty stadium and a bowl game that nobody wants to go to. But, you know, we lose the game to a, to Navy, which even if we beat Navy, yeah, that's a win on the record, but you know, that's really not like an exciting game at all. But um, so yeah, matchup overall record, you know, whoever we play, if we win, it's a success in my opinion, um, just for that record, not saying, Oh, we won this such and such bowl and whatever. Don't really care about that, but I care about that win, that number at the end of the season. I hear you guys on that front for sure. And um, I, I certainly hope that K-State finds a way to, to, to get it done against Texas. And again, it's I, I know we always say like the dumb, the dumbest saying in sports, you know, seven and five or eight and four looks a hell of a lot better than seven and five or nine and three looks a hell of a lot better than eight and four. But uh, it absolutely true. It, it, or rather, it is true. And it's one of those things too. And, and I don't know if this is just one of those things that's been kind of ingrained in my mind. Cause I always go back to thinking about watching those highlight tapes in the early nineties and everything, but that for whatever reason, the nine win mark in my head, it just seems to resonate more like that. That is a successful season. I don't know why that is. I don't know why I can't shake that in my head. Like, well, nine wins is nice, but you know, 10 and three sounds a hell of a lot, but, but yeah, I just feel like nine wins is, it would be a great accomplishment, a great feather in the cap for, for climbing and company too. And, all, and I think for any of his detractors out there, if K-State was able to, to beat Texas and to also pick up a win against whoever they may face in whatever bowl game that would, that would certainly buy him some time because I think there are some people too, that are from a long-term perspective concerned about, in particular, the quarterback position, and we can talk about that here uh, in, in a few moments. But um, life, life after Skyler is going to be, I think, a challenge. And I think uh, to that point, Will Howard, like you guys said, does give you the best opportunity to win uh, against Texas for sure. And 
I just I look at that too. I'm 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 not a Will Howard stan. I'm also not one of these guys who's just going to trash him on Twitter because he he threw two straight incomplete passes. But um, I I I think people may may come to realize that he might be a lot more integral in the K State quarterback discussion over the next not just year but potentially two years. Um, but that that's something that remains to be seen. Um, uh, and I, I don't want to harp too much on what we don't even know. Cause theoretically, you know, like you said, Clint, for all we know, Skylar could be fine. He might just not be practicing this week. He could be practicing this week. Who the hell knows? But, um, I, I want to take a few moments to talk about who's on deck for, for the Wildcats the, in the Texas Longhorns. Uh, they themselves have a, a number of injuries that they're dealing with uh, the big, the big ticket one. Uh, and thank you to our uh, sunflower state brethren here. Bijan Robinson uh, was knocked out for the remainder of the season against the Kansas Jayhawks a couple weeks back. Most recently though, uh, Casey Thompson and Hudson card uh, both left the West Virginia game and did not return. Uh, Steve Sarkeesian earlier in the week said that uh, the quarterback predicament is quote unquote, less than ideal. So, could that be gamesmanship on his part? Perhaps, but uh, we we really there. There's just a lot of unknowns on, on some on both sides of the aisle in this game. But one thing I, I will say, at least from the K State perspective, looking at this this Texas defense, it, it's it's not great. It's one of the worst in the conference. Uh, it's eighth in the Big Twelve, uh, giving up just under 200 yards rushing per game. They've surrendered 24 rushing touchdowns on the season. And I, I would like to think that whoever may be quarterbacking for K-State uh, can can lean on the likes uh, of Deuce Vaughn and Joe Irvin in this one, because uh, I feel like that's that's really how this game is going to be won. I feel like we're in for a, a lower scoring affair, particularly if, if both Card and Thompson cannot go for Texas. I think this is going to be a game where uh, the first 20 will likely be the one to, to come out on top in this contest. But um, guys, just knowing what, what little that we do know about Texas and, and just having watched them in recent weeks, that, that it's not like this is a a bad Texas team in the sense that they're just getting blown out. They just seem like, I don't know how you guys feel. They just seem like a, a run of the mill Texas team, a team that is disinterested, a team that plays down to competition, a team that frankly doesn't look like it's all that interested in staying in the big 12 as, in, as we know, um, do you guys have a different read on them based off of what you've seen this season? I haven't watched much of them. I've, I've read more about them than I've watched and it just seems like, like you said, the standard Texas team, but even more of the Texas team than normal. I mean, it just seems like there's a lot of unrest behind the scenes. It seems like there's players that just don't really want to be there, don't really want to finish out the season. And, uh, you know, Texas usually has their get-right game against K-State if that happens this year. I mean, if if we have a backup quarterback that goes out and then just – plays awful, throws three interceptions, fumbles a couple times, and we lose, I'll be like, you know, that's that's just – we don't have any depth of quarterback. That's just what happens. But if we Stick lose by, by Texas, uh, you know, actually outperforming the rest of the team, I will be extremely upset that that happened this year. Yeah, it's definitely a tough read. I haven't watched a lot of them. I watched a lot of the KU game, and – 
their defense couldn't really do much, but, you know, they had playmakers. That's what scares me is they're still Texas. They still got talent on the field, you know, and they could show up and play a solid game. But, you know, if if their jerseys did not say Texas and we're going into a game against a team that's lost is it five in a row or six in a row now. Six in a row. Anyone? Anyone? Well, anyways, a team that just lost to KU, you know, they're on maybe a third string quarterback and all the turmoil, you know, if they, if they didn't have Texas on their name, we would be on their jersey. We would be like, oh, we should definitely win this game. Like, if we lose this game, then that is something's wrong. This is a, a bad loss. However, they they are Texas. They do have talent on the roster. You know, it doesn't take much for them to come out and play a solid game. Um, you know, even KU barely beat them, and Texas had four turnovers. Um, and, you know, KU had a three-touchdown lead and couldn't hold it. So, you know, it's they have the talent to go out there and play well. It's just, are they going to show up? Are they going to be motivated? They can't make a bowl game even if they beat us. Um, probably a third of their players are out the door anyways. So it's definitely a game we should be winning. Um, but I still, you know, just as a K-State fan, I just get nervous about any game anyways. But, you know. And they... I'll say this much. Uh, they do still have, uh, you touched on it, plenty of talent uh, top to bottom. And again, this is going to be another week in which K-State is is going to be outclassed in that regard. But I think this is this is so much like to me, this this is really kind of gauging the unknown. This is gauging motivation. This is gauging where attitudes are with players. Uh, I still this K-State team has not really faltered at any point um, in the sense that when things looked bleak during the three-game losing streak, they they kept, you know, doing all the coach-speaky things that you wanted to – they kept sawing what they kept their – you know, took it, took it one game at a time, one play at a time. Like they, But they truly did that, though. They, they, they did not dwell on the previous week's performances. They didn't dwell on the fact that, you know, it seemed like – the quarterbacks then that three game stretch were, were not missing any passes against the defense. It just it, the offense was struggling to hit big plays. The offense was struggling to stay on the field consistently. Like they, they didn't dwell on any of that. And they, they just pushed forward. They got off the schneid with that win against tech and they just moved forward and they ultimately ended up rolling that into a four game winning streak. So I, I think again, this, this K state team, has has all the motivation in the world to want to go down there and get a win, uh, improving bowl stock. You know, I, I I may portend that it doesn't mean as much to me, but I, I absolutely want to see this team win. And, and while yes, in the grand scheme of things, Cheese It Bowl versus Texas Bowl or Armed Forces Bowl or whatever the hell guaranteed rate bowl, you know, it doesn't mean a lot to the to the average college football fan but i i certainly want k-state to to get the w like you guys said and have the chance to pick up eight and nine wins to close out uh the season and i i do think that this game tends to hinge much more so on what k-state can do early that that's another big thing 
I feel like Texas just being at four and seven, this is the day after the, and also not just the day, but this is the morning after Thanksgiving. Like you've got people that have been traveling. No. And I think this is going to be a very lackluster crowd and DKR. I'd be shocked if there were 50 or so thousand fans in there for in a stadium that holds over a hundred. So you're going to have a half empty building. You, You really could not ask for a much better scenario at least if i'm looking at this as a k-state fan i'm like there's really no better predicament if this was on a saturday you have more people you give people the time to potentially get back home and go to the game i think that's one thing but the fact that this just happens the day after thanksgiving i think that's a big benefit for k-state i think a lot of intangibles are working in the wildcats favor sorry alex did you have something i was just gonna say um just the style of play that we have also just makes these types of games a little nerve wracking, you know, the lower possessions and trying to shorten the game. When you're playing a team that you should be beating, sometimes that plays into their advantage because, you know, they only have to put together a few drives um, to stay in the game. Whereas, you know, vice versa, if we're playing a better team, the idea is to, you know, shorten the game, not let them get as many possessions, but, uh, the fact that we haven't really blown anybody out, you know, the West Virginia and the, uh, I mean, I guess we, the KU game was still not like a huge blowout, like it could have been just because, like I said, we limit possessions in the game. Uh, but, you know, West Virginia was a one touchdown game with eight minutes to go or whatever. But um, that also worries me. You know, we haven't scored over and we haven't scored 40 point, points yet this year either. So um, if it's a low scoring game, that kind of plays into the hands of a maybe an under um, motivated Texas squad that could be like, well, it's still a game, you know, might as well just go score some points and win it. So it would be nice to, to exercise some demons and kind of go do what they did to us at the end of last year and, you know, make it a blowout and get on, get on them early and make them quit, you know, pretty much in the game in the first half would be, Real nice, but if we kind of do our typical, like, you know, slow pace, limit possessions, low scoring game, that kind of leaves a lot of room for a, a team like Texas that has the talent to score points to, you know, really be in it at the end. So that that also is part of the reason that the game worries me. <clears throat> And I think you've got every right to be concerned about this one. Um, uh, I, I do. I think I'll breathe that sigh of relief after I see whoever comes out under center. I, I just I need to see that because, again, I, I I cannot just get away from the notion that Texas is just done with with this season. There's people, quite frankly, that they're. I'm sure money people at the University of Texas that are probably wanting to get rid of Sark after this season, um, just with the way that they've crashed and burned after having a decent start. They were four and one. Um, if you can remember way back in uh, early October, and this team has dropped six straight games, one of which again coming to the aforementioned Kansas Jayhawks. So that, and I guess that's another thing that just weighs on me too in this one. If if a KU team going up against a healthy Texas squad with Bijan Robinson, with Hudson Card, with Casey Thompson. If a KU team can go into Austin and drop 57 points and come out of there with a win, 
quite frankly, there there's no reason that K-State should feel like it can't go in there and come out with a, a, a comfortable, I won't say a comfortable win, because just as you said, Alex, the style of play doesn't really lend itself to K-State fans ever feeling like they're truly comfortable in control of a game. But I, I think, I, I know odds makers have this game as a three-point, uh, as Texas as a three-point favorite, but I, I frankly, I, I, I feel like that the wrong team is favored in that sense, especially if we, if we do later find out that Thompson and card cannot go for UT, we know for a fact that B. John Robinson will not go. He's done for the season. But I think if those two are on the shelf, I think this is Kate, this absolutely becomes K state's game to lose. So that that's my read on it here. And with that, I think we'll go ahead and move next into our uh, projections for said game. We've got our Marvin show me more Simmons uh, selection for the player unit or coach who wants to show us more and we'll go ahead and start off our picks there uh who wants to go first clint or alex alex quarterback right. whoever's lining up under center show me more <laughs> oh man yeah when the kid when the kid always puts his hand up you gotta you gotta ask why <laughs> well you know, I'm looking for the entire offensive line to show me more. That's a hard uh, position group to kind of sort out. Um, they had one of their worst games uh, against Baylor uh, in part to Baylor's just relentless blitz. Um, you know, I'm sure Texas saw how much that worked against us, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they try to replicate that. I don't really know their defensive style. I don't know if that uh, is what they try to do typically, but – if I was them, I would be throwing everything at the uh, K-State quarterback, and it's going to be up to the K-State offensive line to keep whoever it is uh, relatively clean. Um, get those running lanes open. K-State's going to have a good day. And that actually segues nicely. I, I'm looking at Messingham this week just because he had – I think he'd be the first to tell you that he had an off week against uh, Baylor. And we, he needs to atone this, this coming Saturday and and to that, or God, I keep saying Saturday, this coming Friday. And to that point, uh, Texas, regardless of what they have available offensively, defensively, that group knows they're likely going to be facing a backup quarterback and K-State's offense really is triggered and keyed by Deuce Vaughn. And and, and when, when Skyler Thompson is on the shelf, Deuce Vaughn is the catalyst. So to that point, you're you're gonna have to find you're you're gonna have to zig when they zag. You're gonna have to do something creative to to whoever it may be, if it's Howard, Jaron Lewis, whatever whoever is under center for K-State, we have to find ways uh, for that guy to be able to contribute in the passing game to be able to open up opportunities for Deuce Vaughn to run because quite frankly again I just keep that's the one thing that I'm a little bit concerned with that again I think back to the Oklahoma State game when Will House Howard started that Oklahoma State defense is statistically at the top of the conference in just about every category Texas is at the bottom of the conference in just about every category maybe not the the seller seller but they're a ninth and a lot of the major defensive stats so to that point i i don't think this is going to be as strenuous for what i'm going to presume is will howard 
but it's still going to be an instance in when in which Messingham is going to need to come up with something other than just let's smash Deuce Vaughn into the line, you know, down after down after down. We ha- Will Howard's going to have to be expected to do something. And to that point, we need to see him draw up some plays and some, get creative with some of our schemes and personnel packages so Will Howard can actually make some contributions in the passing game. So I look to Messingham to be or to show me more this coming Saturday. Let's go next to our Stone Pounder, uh, our Ben Stone Pounder Newman uh, selections here. And since Alex went first, wanted to jump out ahead of the rest of the class there, I'll let Clint get the uh, nod on this one. Clint, who you got? The Wasp, TJ Smith. Been riding the bench all year, but the safeties are falling like flies at K-State. He's going to be called upon. Uh, you know, last year he had that one huge game against Texas Tech where he was just knocking heads off, and he got injured shortly after that. Didn't get to see him the rest of the year. He hasn't really had that game this year, uh, even in his, you know, just you know, a few snaps he's getting here and there. I thought we'd see a little bit more of that head-hunting mentality, and uh, – you know, I think this might be the game where he gets to be out there enough that he gets comfortable, starts throwing his weight around, and um, hopefully he doesn't get called for targeting, but I would like to see some big hits out of him, and that's what I'm expecting to see. Alex. Uh, go with a guy who has been pounding a, a lot of stone this year, uh, but he he's had a quiet couple of – he hasn't had a sack in the last couple of games – so I'm going to go with Felix Anudike Uzama to end the regular season with a few sacks and some more forced fumbles. And, uh, you know, not that he has, hasn't been good the last couple of games because he has still gotten a, quite a few uh, tackles for losses, hasn't quite gotten to the quarterback. He had a fumble, forced fumble against West Virginia, uh, but he's also getting double team and held like crazy. Uh, and still powering through it, and I think he uh, definitely shows up and and gets some some more sacks on the board um, on Friday morning, eleven a.m. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right uh, and early. So I who, am going. Who scheduled that game? Jesus Christ! <laughs> I saw so many people in the mentions, too, about this, like, oh, you have to make sure you put your best foot forward on a nationally televised game. Like, no one's everybody's going to no one's watching that outside of K-State and and the, the smattering of Texas fans who are still somewhat invested. Like, <laughs> yes, it's on Fox proper, but I don't frankly think that means a whole lot. And, and again, any and all games are televised anymore. So it's not like it makes a, a huge difference. I knew it was on Friday, and I was like, surely that's like a night game. And I checked the time the other day, and I'm like, 11 a.m.? Like, what? Anyways, continue, Jeffrey. No, No, you're good. (laughs) So uh, my stone pounder, uh, and again, this is me perhaps going out on a limb, but I I am saying that he is going to be the guy who gets the nod. Um, Will Howard had a pretty good outing against UT last season. Uh, had 174 yards passing, two touchdowns, rushed for 79 yards. K-State as a whole against Texas, and I know this that that game was not exactly ideal, but K-State had one of its better offensive outings of the season. They had 448 yards total offense, 24 first downs against Texas, 
And that was with Will Howard running the show and K-State. We know how depleted they were by by that point in the season. And for K-State to still go out there and, and do what it did uh, against the Texas team that at that point still had everything to play for, that Texas team, uh, quarterback by Ellinger, led by Tom Herman at head coach, they still had the opportunity to potentially play in the Big 12 championship game. And uh, so it wasn't as if K-State was doing this uh, against a team that had no incentive to to play. Like, I, I look back at that and I, I hope that if Will Howard does, I hope and know if Will Howard does get the start that he, he looks to that performance that he saw last season, that he, that he directed last season and he builds off of that and he in his own mind is convinced that he can go out and lead this team uh, to a win. So Will Howard is my pick for the Stone Pounder this week. I, I expect him to have a very large impact on the outcome of this game coming up on Friday morning. So with all that to be said here, guys, uh, let's go ahead and uh, wrap up our projections for the Texas game with the score. So uh, Clint, who you got? Uh, if Skyler plays, I'm going 30 to 20 K state. If Will Howard plays 21 to 20 K state, am I allowed to do that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh boy. Um, I'm going to go Kansas State with 35 points and the Texas Longhorns with 17 points. I think we get out ahead early and kind of coast a little bit and Texas kind of just doesn't show up. So I do think that that is one thing that I certainly hope the K-State can do. If they, I think if the Wildcats come out and hit them in the mouth and are up, you know, get a couple of scores on their first few possessions. And it's a, you know, a 10 to nothing game after the first quarter, 14 to nothing after the first quarter. I, I think Texas absolutely does phone it in uh, as again, there's really nothing left for Texas to play for other than pride. So uh, we know how well that plays with the folks down in Austin. I, I do think K-State's uh, K-State's defense is kind of the, the really, when you think about it, the, the, the most reliable unit of all the units that, that we're talking about in this game. And I think to that, the guys that are on that side of the ball, look back to last year's game and they take that personally and use that as motivation, uh, giving up 69 on your home field. I know um, K-State again was, was very thin at that stage in the season. That was the, the regular season finale there. I, uh, I, I would like to think that that, helps inspire the guys and they come out and they want to atone for, for that, for giving up damn near 70 points on their home field. But I also do think again, the case is frankly just the team that has more to play for. I, I think it's the better coach team. And, and I, I just think that there's so much working in the Wildcats favor going into this contest that you really, uh, I think the biggest thing in, in a lot of fans minds, that's a challenge right now is just clearing that, that mental hurdle of, well, what, what are we going to do without Sky? Well, I, I, I do think this team can go and win a, win a ball game without Sky, and I think they can uh, do it decidedly. I, I, I don't know if K-State runs and hides in this game, but I, I'm going to go ahead and pick the Wildcats to win this one. 27-17 uh, to 17 is my score. Uh, like I said, I, I expect the defense to play a large role in this, in this contest for K-State. And hopefully they set Mr. Howard and company up with a couple of short fields. I think that'll go a long way in, in helping the Wildcats come out on top in this one. So I do, I do project the Wildcats to, to end 
this streak against Texas. Again, K-State has not won in Austin since 2011, but I'm saying that's going to come to an end this coming Saturday. So again, my score, 27 to 17. K-State ends the regular season at 8 and 4. So those are our predictions for the Wildcats regular season finale. Again, that's a 11 o'clock kick as I mentioned a little bit ago on Fox proper morning after Thanksgiving. So just roll right out of bed, uh, get yourself some leftovers and hopefully get set to watch a K state victory. So uh, that is your, uh, your Friday morning tilt uh, in the big 12. Uh, We'll go ahead and look at the rest of the big 12 games on the docket for uh, this upcoming week. And as I said uh, a little bit earlier in this, when we were recapping uh, the games that that occurred this past Saturday, a couple teams gave themselves a chance uh, here uh, in West Virginia and TCU to get bowl eligible. So uh, that's another game that's on the table on Friday on Fox Sports 1. Uh, TCU at 5-6 and six overall going to take on Iowa State in Ames. Uh, going to be chilly one up there, <laughs> projecting uh, 37 degrees for the high that day. The clones are 15-point uh, favorites in their regular season finale. That's a 3:30 kick on Fox Sports 1 on Friday. Moving into your Saturday slate, uh, your uh, rooster kick at 11 a.m. on Fox Sports 1. Baylor with a win and an Oklahoma loss. Again, the Bears would then move into that second spot in the Big 12 title game. So, they are obviously pulling for the Sooners to fall at the hands of Oklahoma State, but Baylor, of course, itself will need to take care of business at home. The eighth-ranked Bears playing host to Texas Tech. Uh, so again, Tech already bowl eligible at six and five, three and five in conference play. Baylor nine and two, six and two in league play. The Bears laying 14 points at home uh, in that uh, in their uh, senior day contest. The six o'clock game on Fox Sports One. Again, West Virginia needing to pick up a win on the road at Kansas. Uh, again, I think that's a little bit of a tricky spot for the ears, uh, only in the sense that not going to be a lot of people there. Going to have to. There's not going to be a lot of energy in the stadium, and your your two plus touchdown favorites. I think that's a little bit of a dicey proposition for the ears. I do think they'll find a way to win, but that might be a little bit more stressful than they want it to be. Uh, but West Virginia with a victory would move to six and six on the season and they would punch a ticket to a bowl game. And then finally, uh, your nightcap, ABC, 630 kickoff, 10th ranked Oklahoma taking on the seventh ranked Oklahoma State Cowboys. Both teams coming in at 10 and one. As I said, Oklahoma State's already punched its ticket to the Big 12 championship game. Oklahoma at this point needs to beat Oklahoma State if they lose this game. They are on the outside looking in in the Big 12 Conference Championship race. And then all of a sudden we talk about we go from potentially Oklahoma just a few weeks ago being perfect to perhaps ending up in the Alamo Bowl. So uh, could potentially be a fall for from grace for Lincoln Riley squad. But that is your slate uh, of Big 12 games for the Thanksgiving weekend. Lots of good football on tap here. And with all that being said, we'll go ahead and close out the show here uh, with Clint, our final week of fantasy updates here. Um, I got to say, I'm producing the most points at this stage in the game, so I'm pretty proud of myself here. But it's uh, looking like it's going to be you and I hooking up for the championship. Yes, sir. 
the current standings are myself at nine and two, Jeff at seven and four, and then Alex and Justin rounding out the bottom three and eight each. So it'll be me and Jeff in the championship, and Alex and Justin in the third place bouts. Uh, this previous week didn't really uh, matter for anybody. The standings were already set as far as the championships go. But as far as the players, uh, Daniel Green led everybody in scoring. That's our overall MVP. Deuce Vaughn had another good game. Uh, those are going to be the top two guys going into the championship game. Uh, your, your guy, Nate Matlack, that's what worries me um, with uh, – Matter Bebe getting not not Matter Bebe with uh, Felix and Udike Uzama getting so much attention, um, you know Nate Matlack's really been able to excel here in fantasy. Uh, I'm a little worried. I won't lie. So I've been racking up the points, man. I got uh, really I've been you know I would much rather and I also I guess I also did have Khalid Duke too. So it's not like I. I'm pretty proud of myself now that I, I, I'm sitting here recounting uh, my my predictions in the preseason and what who I thought was actually going to produce for us. And now I'm I'm pretty proud of the way that this this whole thing shook out. But yeah, Nate Matlack has just been really wrecking teams here these last couple of weeks, and I would love for him love nothing more than for him to go and tee off against whoever the hell is starting for Texas this coming set. Oh, God, <laughs> I keep wanting to say Saturday. Oh man. Yeah, I swindled Alex out of rust yeast, and that's really been a big boost for my team. <laughs> you know, he's had Will Howard sitting on the bench for a while, but you know that might come in handy for him in this uh, third place matchup he's got. Uh, you know, Justin's still got Jerron McPherson in the starting lineup. I think he's going to have to switch him out. He might need to find a some guy in the waiver wire because he's got Sebastian Taylor, Keenan Garber, and Spencer Trussell as backups. <laughs> I kind of. <laughs> There's not a lot of point production there. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a pickle. Uh, T. Denson, Boom, Massey, Hennington. There's a couple guys that could get you some points. Man, Alex uh, Ross Elder really went off for you. That was a great pickup you had. What did he end up with? Uh, Twenty one points, I believe, this week. He, you know, his stretch of good play goes back to when I picked him up in free agency. Smart guy. Yeah. You're welcome, K-State fans. <laughs> hey, Clint, did good. they ever change the stat for Boom to get that forced fumble? No, and I uh, I did reach out to Ryan Lackey on Twitter, and he responded to me. Um, but uh, they have not changed it officially, but I went ahead and – what did, added it into our fantasy totals, even though he's not on a team currently. I mean, that definitely was a forced fumble. Yeah, and I, I don't know if you saw that on Twitter, that he responded to me that uh, in their software, they cannot put in a forced fumble on a completed pass. Or like I, a sack forced fumble. I, I, I can't remember exactly how he worded it, but that was the gist of it. So he so said it, they were going to try to update that. I gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah, I was kind of wondering. I'm like, maybe because they completed a pass, but it's still a fumble recovered by the quarterback. Ball's thrown. Yada yada yada. So, which is yeah. weird because quarterbacks fumble all the time, like on their own, and then pick up the ball, whether it be on a snap or something, and then throw the ball. So, yeah, I, oh, I wasn't sure if that was specific to their software they were running. I mean, I, I have no idea what they do to input those stats. 
that's just what Ryan Lackey got into the business for. <laughs> Guys, what is the most unique and bizarre play that we can run into, and how do we <laughs> how do we have to go about scoring it? But but no, I like those things happen all the time. That that's just bizarre that we can't get our boy Booma force fumble. But we all know we all know what happened there. But good stuff as always, Clint. Appreciate you staying on top of it, staying on top of Ryan Lackey too, making sure we get the uh, the numbers there. So um, guys, uh, it's hard to believe it here, but we uh, we've come to the end of, of the regular season. Uh, we'll obviously. Uh, do a recap following the Texas game uh, this coming uh, this next week after Thanksgiving, and we'll we'll do a recap of, of fantasy and kind of our season MVPs. We'll we'll have plenty of content to get to you guys over the uh, over the holiday, and obviously we'll get you prepped for whatever bowl game K State ends up going to. So we'll we'll still continue to push out episodes for you here uh, on into the month of December. So. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to already, subscribe to us or uh, follow us, depending on your preferred podcast app. Follow us on Twitter at college underscore Kimball. Uh, it's always great to interact with any and all K-State fans. We appreciate it. Uh, all the feedback that you guys have given us on the show here uh, for our first season. It's been a lot of fun uh, doing these. Uh, we certainly hope that this episode uh, has given you, our loyal listeners, something uh, to listen to and some entertainment on uh, whatever uh, commute you're making, whatever uh, journey you're making across uh, the Sunflower State or wherever uh, for Thanksgiving. So safe travels again uh, to you and yours. Appreciate you guys very much. With all that said, we'll close it out the way we always do. Catsman, if you know, you know.